0: Welcome to the Practicing the Way podcast, where we explore a life of apprenticeship to Jesus in the modern world. In season one, Tyler Staten, the lead pastor of Bridgetown Church, sits down with John Mark Comer, the founder of Practicing the Way, to discuss his new book, also called Practicing the Way, Be With Jesus, Become Like Jesus, Do As He Did. In this episode, we explore the first goal of an apprentice of Jesus, to be with Jesus.
1: So in the last episode, we defined apprenticeship to Jesus as be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And I want to zero in now on what it means to be with Jesus. And if I'm understanding you right, John Mark, you are saying that the beginning of the spiritual journey is communion or relationship with Jesus.
2: Yeah, I mean, those three goals, be with, become like, do, are not like a, formulaic three-step process yeah it's not linear step one yeah it's not linear and a lot of people want to say you know following jesus is so simple but i think most of that's a like coping strategy you know mechanism for the fact that life is extraordinarily complex yeah and the spiritual life is even more so because it deals with the depths Mm -hmm. you know and so you know for those that are new to following jesus it can be almost like overwhelming like where do I even start on this spiritual journey if there is a starting line at some level I think it's this like the baseline the or you could just say the foundation that the whole house is built on is being with Jesus I mean that was Jesus opening invitation was come and be with me Mm -hmm. come follow me come spend time with me come literally walk with me around Israel Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So how do we do that? What does that mean? Come and follow Jesus, right? Someone is not going to literally do that. Jesus isn't walking around in the flesh today as he did for 33 years. So what does it mean for us at this time in history to follow him as rabbi?
2: I mean, yeah. So when he said that to Peter, I mean, it was not a word picture. Exactly. Peter literally dropped Dropped his his nets nets, and started to follow Jesus. But We don't, we can't like book a flight to Tel Aviv and go rent a car and go find Jesus out in the countryside and walk away from the car and just walk behind Jesus. So it is a word picture at some level, but there's a theology behind it. You know, as you know, at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus has all this beautiful language about how I will send you uh, one way to translate the Greek is another one of me, often translated a helper, you know? or the word is paraclete. Mm-hmm. And we know this as the spirit of Jesus. And in the story of Acts, the spirit of Jesus comes, not just to be with the disciples, but ultimately to be inside, to yeah, be within. in the depth. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So you have this whole New Testament theology, the temple that I know is a large part of your theological rubric, yeah. how you think about church, how you think about life, where there used to be this physical building in Jerusalem that at a theological level was the overlap between heaven and earth. And if you wanted to be around God, you would go to the temple. And then Jesus has this whole like counter temple message where he is the temple, like his Mm -hmm. body destroyed this temple. And in three days, you know, I will rebuild it. You know, referring to his death and resurrection. He tabernacled among us. He tabernacled among us. Like he, Jesus is the overlap between heaven and earth. And then it goes even farther in the New Testament where Paul writes that he calls both the church the temple of the Holy Spirit and then he calls our body, like at an individual level, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the dwelling place of God. And so there's all sorts of implications like, you know, the, the writers of spiritual formation key in on this idea that God is You know, what's the Augustine line from the 4th century? God was closer to me than I was to myself. Mm -hmm. God is deeper in us than we are in ourselves. And hence, this aspect of interiority is a key facet of just life with Jesus.
1: Yeah, and it means it makes sense of or maybe fills out the full meaning of the frequent line in the Psalms, awake my soul. Hmm. Because it means that one of the ways we pray is God? I believe that a fundamental reality is true, and that is that you have come closer even than my breath. But my awareness or attunement to that that union, that intimacy, is wavering is, all yes. the time, right? And so, one of my greatest prayers, and maybe my first prayer, is Awake help me, my, yeah, mm, help me get in touch with the deepest reality that is within within me, me. right now.
2: Like I think you know. As most people know, both in Hebrew, where the word is ruach, and Greek, where the word is pneuma, the word for the spirit, for the spirit of Jesus, Mm -hmm. uh, is normally translated spirit, but it's more often translated breath. And so same word, breath, wind, spirit, same Greek or Hebrew word. And if you think about oxygen, like when we breathe, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, and I, but I believe, my understanding is that oxygen literally goes into our bloodstream, mm-hmm. which then goes to the deepest part of our circulatory system into every aspect of our body. And that's the picture for what we experience when we breathe, when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, and, and we don't even have to trace it all the way through the New Testament. We can just look to the gospels, just to the life of Jesus as yes. you began. John 15, the last yes. night of Jesus' life, he famously has the vine and the branches conversation with his disciples, right? And he uses the word meno, which is translated abide or remain. Or make your on.
2: home. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so Jesus is saying, make your home in me, and I'm going to make my home in you. It's this mm-hmm. promise. And then he goes on to expound on that promise to say, and the Spirit is how I'm going to do this, but... In the last episode, you touched on the fact that the deepest longing of the human heart is this same union that Mm -hmm. is within all of us. And we direct that different places, but it's within us. So if you take that all the way back to when the disciples meet Jesus in John chapter 1, at the beginning of their story together, the disciples use that word. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And that word staying is the Greek meno. Meno. So they're Mm -hmm. saying... Rabbi, can I be with you? Yes. And then at the other end of their three years together in the discipleship journey, Jesus says, now I will be with you and within you. He's, his commitment to us is even outpacing our commitment to him. And his witness to meet our desire is, is even deeper than we're able to articulate mm. that desire. So talk to me about then the how. Like, how do we begin mm. to... Be with Jesus. Practically, how do I begin to take this theological truth yes. and experience it and in this in my word daily picture life. of the vine yeah. and the
2: branches? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love the psalm that you quoted a minute ago, Awake My Soul. Um, I think much of this has to do with what we would call consciousness. And all I mean by consciousness is just the flow of Thoughts and feelings and images and ideas and perceptions, even arising from our body, that flow through our our mind stream or just our field of awareness. So right now, I'm conscious, you're conscious. Our consciousnesses, our consciousness, I I don't know what the plural is of yeah. consciousness, but you know, we inter- they're interacting right now and intertwining right now. And, you know, in, in John 15, in that menno passage, make your home in me as I make my home in you, Jesus says that beautiful follow-up line, um, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, mm-hmm. you will bear more, bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be mm-hmm. my uh, My Mathetes, my disciples, my apprentices. Apprentices, yeah. And you know, if you think about words, wor- that's just Jesus language, I think, for your consciousness. And all the reality is all of us are abiding right now. All of us are making a mental home somewhere. Mm-hmm. The question is, is it in Jesus and the words of Jesus? For most of us, it's in fear, anger, materialism, greed lust, this is what we're abiding in. This is the words that pass through our mindstream. These are the thoughts and the feelings and the desires and the perceptions and the images and the ideas. It's entertainment, it's sexualization, it's success fantasies, it's revenge, it's anger, it's hurt, it's wounding, it's bitterness, it's regret, it's guilt, it's shame. We're abiding in our consciousness is abiding in this all day long. And you know, that's the power of Jesus word picture of the vine and the branches what whatever you abide in whatever your consciousness is is giving its attention what you give your attention to is the person you become mm-hmm. so it sets the trajectory of your spiritual formation and your character so when we say oh that person is really anxious what we mean is their consciousness is habitually Abiding them in, you know, grounding them in fear producing thoughts. Their mind stream is just full of yes. fear producing. When that person's really angry, their consciousness is just full of anger and acrimony and resentment and bitterness. So I think much of this, and I don't mean this in like a Western enlightenment kind of information, much of this, much of abiding, much of being with Jesus is about learning to aim our consciousness. Mm or in more just you know, common parlance, our attention, and in more Christian language, our affection at Jesus himself all through the day. And this is where I think the modern science of neuroplasticity, you know, Hebb's law, neurons that fire, fire together, wire together, the basic idea, every time you think a thought, it's like digging, a, it's like driving down right. a, you know, a dirt road in a truck. You do it once, and there's just like some tire tracks. You do it a thousand times, mm. and there's ruts in the road, and you can't not drive in those ruts. Right, and that's a good thing that's or a, a bad picture. thing depending on where the road goes. Mm-hmm. Our mind is like that. That's what neuroplasticity is like. So every time you think a thought, it's easier to think it again and harder to not think it again. And if it's a, whether it's a good thought or a bad thought whether it's Jesus, or sexualization, or shame, or regret, or anger, I can't believe she did this to me. Doesn't matter what the thought is. Every time you think it, it's easier to think it again and harder to not think it. And so, you know, the modern science of neuroplasticity and Paul's whole theology in the New Testament of the renewal of the mind. I mean, Paul's like one sentence summary of spiritual formation is, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So i think this idea of the renewing of our mind learning to aim our consciousness at jesus his word his person his beauty his goodness all through the day is i I think at the core of what abiding means and i'm not saying that i think abiding is just a cognitive thing Mm -hmm. or just a mind thing i think there's a deeper relational communion with god where there's a part of you beyond thoughts beyond feelings beyond your body's perceptions where you commune with God at an even deeper level. I'm just saying I think much of the beginning is what we do with our consciousness.
1: There's so much you've just said that I want to talk more <laughs> about. Um, but, but maybe we can start here. Um, something I'm discovering uh, as a praying person is I think we often think about the reward of a life of prayer as being answered prayers, right? That Those are the stories that we celebrate. Um, I prayed for this and saw God do this. And that does happen sometimes. Like God is a miracle working God. Um, God always offers us his presence, even when he doesn't offer us his power. And there is some mystery there that we'll never entirely be able to untangle, but, The longer that we follow him, I think the more comfortable we get living within the mystery of his divine wisdom. But something that I've been discovering, for for example, yesterday was a Sunday. On Sundays, I treat myself to a
2: cup of coffee. It's it's a long day. Let's be honest. You treat yourself to a cup of coffee more often than. That.
1: Yes, yes, but out. <laughs> I treat myself to a cup of coffee out. And I in usually in make, Portland.
2: That's like an eight dollar. Yeah, I usually
1: know? make coffee at home, but I think it's a long day. It's probably good for me to be unreasonably caffeinated, mm-hmm. you know. And I got to heart Coffee on Burnside, and I'm standing in line, and. You know, what does everyone do when they stand in line? Yes. They pull out, a screen pull out a screen. And they're they're looking at their screen. And that's because most people, when their mind is idle, it goes to negative places.
2: Yeah, right. That's that's Cheek sent me who did all the psychologists, mm-hmm. all the work around flow. His summary of all the data is the unaided mind tends toward chaos. Yes. So if you don't have something to focus on, your mind will just go into fear, anger, regret, rumination, shame, chaos.
1: Right, so most people, depending on your personality, your mind will leap to the future or leap to the past, and it will almost always um, rob you of the present moment, Mm -hmm. but in in addition to it, it will almost always leap to something negative, right? It will leap to, oh my goodness, I have that presentation I need to prepare for, I haven't even started yet, or a leap to... Or the
2: presentation went so badly yesterday, what was I thinking, they must all
1: think I'm an idiot. Exactly, and so what we do is we distract ourselves from those negative thoughts by directing them to the one medium we have that we know perpetuates negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's like someone lost on an island, dying of thirst, guzzling down salt water, it feels like it's helping, but it it's, makes a it's bad actually problem worse. destroying me. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's three points in my life that I think I see where I'm abiding. There's the first thoughts that pass through my mind when I wake up. Yeah, The last thoughts that pass through my mind as I'm drifting off. And what happens in those random moments, like when I'm standing in line at heart Coffee, The blank space. And my mind can wander. You're,
2: you're there at a meeting early. You come to the red light. All of a sudden, you have a moment.
1: There's two observations I want to make about this. One is that my discovery is that over the course of time in prayer, my mind resets more and more often to Jesus mm-hmm. and to the fruit of the Spirit and I'm nowhere near perfect. However, I've noticed how much more comfortable I am just with quiet or just with waiting, and I've noticed how much more at peace that I am. And so I've begun to realize, oh, the reward of prayer is meno, it's abiding. It is, as I've gone about this relationship to God, it is becoming my way of being and my life source. Mm so i don't need to distract myself away from negative thoughts they're not owning me as much anymore mm. but but the other thing and that's
2: a slow process cuz that's been my for years I, I would say on one end i'm a thousand miles away from where the inner peace i desire and on the other end i'm a thousand miles from where i started and genuinely in those moments of blank space my mind often goes back to god mm-hmm. you know and then it goes back to worry in the future and the past but that is a slow process though.
1: Most definitely. But, and the other thing I've noticed is, you know, those random moments of blank space in the day, we can't be super intentional about always, but we can be really intentional about our first and last thoughts, and I am. Like I have practices to guard yes. what I will and won't engage first in the morning and at night. And so the, the words that we use for that, like the common terminology is habit, right? Yes. I've created habits around the direction of my attention and affection first thing and last thing in the day, and that's producing change in me over time. And in your book, you talk about turning God into a habit. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if you'd share a little bit about the how of abiding as it relates to our habits.
2: Yeah, and I I don't mean that as God is just some mental exercise we want to practice— God is a relational presence, not just around us, but within us. Mm-hmm. I mean that, yeah, neuroplasticity, renewal of the mind, discipleship to Jesus, there is a, a role and a responsibility. Like the greatest, you know, Viktor Frankl said the the greatest freedom that a human being has is what we do with our mind. Hmm. And mind, not meaning our brain synapses, but our, our attention, like where we aim our consciousness. That's the great, no one can take that freedom from you, really. No circumstances, no loss of your past, or your present, or your future. Right,
1: he was saying that from a concentration camp. Yeah, he said that from a
2: concentration camp, you know? And he defined character as basically what happens between what he called stimulus and response. Something comes into your field awareness and the ability to pause before you react or respond, which is all about consciousness. It's all about where does my mind go? What do I abide in? Like, what do I menow in, Mm -hmm. you know? so. What I mean by turning God into a habit is like all of the mystics, all the contemplatives, all the saints and sages of the best of the Christian tradition use this, like a lot of them full-on use the word habit. I'm thinking of Thomas Kelly or A.W. Tozer or Dallas Willard. All of them use this idea of like mental habits must be formed, you Mm -hmm. know? And you mentioned like sunrise and sunset, falling asleep, waking. I know just enough science to be dangerous, but my, you know— Layperson's grasp is that there's some neurobiological mechanisms in the brain that make the last thing we do with our mind before sleep and the first thing we do upon waking disproportionate in their effect on our neural construction and like the kind of mind that we develop, the kind of attention capacities we develop or don't. Mm-hmm. You know, Johan Harari, British journalist, wrote that book, Stolen Focus, one of my mm-hmm. favorite books of the year. And he has the updated stat on you know how many people sleep next to their smartphone, and I think it's up to like eighty-seven percent now or something like that. Wow! And but you no, know, his crazy stat was—I don't remember the exact number—but how many people not sleep next to their smartphone, but sleep with their smartphone, as like like it's in, in the bed. their hand. Oh wow! Like in bed, in their hand. And it wasn't like 2%, it was like a shocking number in the study.
1: It's like the adult stuffed animal.
2: And I think what people are trying to do is they're trying to escape the unaided mind tends toward chaos. Hmm. They're trying to outsource the curation of their consciousness to someone or something else. That's what most of TV is, most of entertainment is, most of social media is. Trying to escape our feelings of fear, shame, inadequacy, worry, guilt, anger and it just doesn't work as you said it makes a bad problem worse so i think not the summary of the spiritual life but a key facet of apprenticeship to jesus is intentionally learning to curate our consciousness this is why scripture has always played such a vital role in all christian spirituality like yes. it's why a lot like a lot of people like myself that struggle with negative rumination of a very you know active mind to a fault Um, love reading. You and I both love novels, Mm -hmm. because reading is a way to focus your mind not on fear-mongering or whatever, but on something good and beautiful and true. It brings your mind into flow, and that's the best moments of contemplative prayer, bring your mind into flow around God, around the fruit of the Spirit, around the presence of the Trinity deep within you, you know? So I think it is learning to curate our consciousness in such a way that we look at, that's what contemplation is, we look at Jesus. And then the whole beauty of that is whatever you look at, you become. Those mirror neurons start to do their thing. So if you look at the news constantly, you look at TikTok constantly, you look at you know, your bank account constantly, it's going to form you into a person who is a parody of all of those realities. Mm-hmm. You look at the Trinity constantly, you look at Jesus constantly, It's going to form you into a person who is loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, and so on. Mm. Slowly, there's the giant disclaimer. Yeah, slowly.
1: And you use the word contemplation, which I want to ask you more about in just a second. But I think it's maybe an important thing to just throw in there. Is Charles Duhigg, who wrote the book *The Power of Habit*? That's really helpful. He Talks about creating new habit as cue, routine, reward.
2: Yeah, his, his basic case for us is you can't end habits, you just can replace them.
1: Yeah, and so there's a cue, like mm-hmm. a negative rumination, for instance, yep. and then you begin a new routine in response to that than the one that you currently have. And then the reward begins to solidify the benefit of the mm. routine. But of course, the things that are the best for us, the rewards come slowly, yes. right? Like exercise. Uh, if you don't regularly exercise, the, it takes a while before you begin to experience the reward of exercise. And It's still
2: way quicker than like parenting. Sure. Or relationships, you know?
1: Yeah, the most beautiful things in life.
2: Are slow. The
1: rewards are a slow drip. Yeah. But they are profoundly rewarding okay. when they begin to come. More satisfying. And so as anyone begins to try to cultivate this life of abiding. We must be patient with the rewards, but sure that they are coming and know that when they are coming, they are so much more satisfying than the rewards that are easily accessible and come quickly.
3: My name is Casey and I'm a wife and mom of two girls, ages nine and 12. And I work as a spiritual formation pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Practicing the way of Jesus over the years has made possible an intimate knowledge of Jesus that, as it's grown, has led to deeper trust and more peace than I thought possible. As I practice his ways, I'm learning to hold every facet of my life before him in worship. My family, my time, my money, my emotions, my desires, and relationships. And at times, this would feel more like duty than delight. I'd feel weighed down by my own sense of not measuring up. But through practicing confession and prayer, I would return to the truth found in Scripture, that what He asks of me is not burdensome, that His yoke is indeed easy and burden light. The practices simply position me to receive His grace again and again And over time, I've personally experienced that the invitation to follow him leads to my good, even when it doesn't make sense or it's uncomfortable in the moment. As I've oriented my life to apprenticing under him, I find that I am allowing myself, by doing what only I can do through practices like prayer, time in scripture, and silence and solitude, to receive life from Jesus. I am being loved into loving the result is I'm far less afraid of what people think and far more concerned with loving them well and I find that the life I get to live with Jesus I want for others too that means I make it a practice to know and be known by others and the byproduct is sharing in the life of Jesus together Apprenticing under Jesus means that I have made my home with him as he has with me. My life is bound up with his life, and I have found rest for my soul.
1: So talk to me about contemplative prayer, which you mentioned just a moment ago, which I think is is the practice of abiding.
2: Um, in the book, I quote the Presbyterian spiritual director, Marjorie Thompson, who tells this beautiful story about, I think from the 19th century, about this elderly peasant coming into this Catholic chapel every day and just sitting there in the quiet for hours on end. Mm-hmm. And at one point, the priest goes to him and basically says, what What are you doing here all of the time? <laughs> You're a farmer. What are you doing here? Yeah. And this elderly farmer uh, has this beautiful line I look at him, he looks at me, and we are happy. Hmm. That's contemplative prayer. Hmm. It is looking at God, looking at you in love. So um, there's a type of prayer that is very word-based that is petition-based, that is good. Like Jesus Mm -hmm. called it asking, and it's central to Jesus' teaching. Like probably the dominant theme in Jesus' teaching on prayer is ask. You have not because you ask not.
1: It's often where we learn to pray first. Exactly. Mm
2: -hmm. That's where children, you know, often Mm -hmm. begin in their early verbal years. Mom, dad, I need this, I need that. But there is a deeper type of prayer in a sense, or another type of prayer that at some level goes beyond words and even beyond feelings at some point to just looking at God. And it's really hard to put into words because how do you look at a Trinity that your eyes can't see? But there is a, you know, the West has been, I think, deeply confused in, you know, in science-y language, it has prioritize explicit knowledge that comes through our fine senses and our you know prefrontal cortex and our cognitive reasoning it's linear it's fact based it's rational and it has devalued or completely written off implicit knowledge which all human beings have like that gut sense that something's not right about that person hmm. or that gut sense i need to i need to call my wife right now i feel like is everything okay and you you know like there's just this deep knowing in the belly almost mm-hmm that is just as real, but it doesn't fit the Western paradigms of, you know, rationality. And I think that's a that's an undeveloped part of the human person that we have to tap into in our relationship with God, because we're looking at something that our eyes can't see hmm. and our mind can imagine, but there's a deeper part of us that can see this, you know, what Martin Laird called an ocean of light, this just— uh, Saint St. Saint Ignatius called God love-loving. And like that can see love-loving us. Mm-hmm. Um, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit pouring out their love through Christ by the Spirit into the depth of our being. So as you look at that, which is mostly just to an outsider would look like sitting on the floor of my house with a cup of coffee, breathing slowly and just with my eyes closed or staring off into the distance doing nothing. It would look like yeah. just sitting on the floor. But there is a a way of looking at God and experiencing him looking at you with with more love than you've ever experienced in your life. And of course, the trick is, if you go try to do this tomorrow morning or tonight, your mind will go to a thousand other places and a thousand distractions Mm -hmm. will assault you constantly. That doesn't make you bad at prayer or a bad contemplative. It makes you a human being Mm -hmm. with a brain doing what a brain does. It goes all over the place looking for threats and fears and... But in those fleeting moments, and this is embarrassing to admit, but if I spend 30 minutes doing this in the morning, there's probably 30 seconds where, like, I, I make contact. There's just, you know, that's embarrassing to admit, but I, I, my guess is I'm, I'm closer to the rule than the exception. Yeah. But those 30 seconds are always the best 30 seconds of my whole day. Yeah. And there's just, I have a lot of good moments, but there's nothing like those fleeting moments. And it may be longer than that. It may be shorter, but those moments of just the interchange of love, I, I don't know anything better in all of human existence.
1: Yeah, I agree. I wanna wrap up by asking you how you do that, mm. but I think it's important to acknowledge for people who, because most people pray within the tradition that they come from, some people have come from a tradition yep. that really prizes contemplative prayer. Other people will have never really heard of that kind yeah, of prayer. I did not much. grow up in that.
2: Neither did I. I read three chapters of the Bible every morning, and then I had a list of things I asked God for, and that was my. And prayer I life. still
1: spend time with God that yeah. way, and I pray contemplatively. And yeah. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so I think it's important just to acknowledge the fact that the other forms of prayer that we learn. Are equally valid and important. They're colors on the color palette of being with Jesus. And yet all of them are expiring, mm-hmm. right? When when we are in eternity with him, we will no longer be interceding. Yeah. We will no longer be asking for things. We will know we will be loving. Yeah. Loving him and experiencing his love for us mm-hmm. forever. And contemplative prayer is just practicing eternity. Yeah. So how do you do it, John Mark?
2: Well, I don't know that it's something you do. I mean, gosh, this is going to sound so underwhelming. I wake up in the morning. I I find first thing in the morning upon waking, just the way my consciousness is wired to be the most conducive time for me. There are different chronotypes, different all that stuff, but that's the best time for me. Um, A key kind of digital discipline for me is I don't sleep with my phone in the same room and I don't touch my phone until after prayer. Mm-hmm. So I'll normally make a cup of coffee or whatever. I try to get up before my family. And I like to do a few things with my body. Like I have a little weird ritual. I step outside and I have this rock in my front yard that I put right where it's kind of facing east to the sunrise and I try to get up to watch the sunrise. And I go barefoot on the rock. And you know, there's a scientific word for this called grounding. And it does something to kind of calm your nervous system, center you. And then I'll normally sit down and I'll do some breathing. And again, I'm not, it's not technique. I'm just trying to get myself. Trying to become present? Yeah, I'm an embodied okay. person. So I'm trying to get myself present to just my body in order to become present to the moment, in order to become present to God. Hmm. And, um, and I'm not trying to do that out of my body, but in and through my body. So I'll just do a couple of those things. I'll, I'll sit on the floor, not on a couch. I'll have a little bit of coffee. I'll take some deep breaths. I'll stand on a rock for a minute and I'll basically just welcome the Holy Spirit. I normally, uh, this is may not be helpful, but I like to kind of start with a mental picture of God. Mm. So I had this one moment in Cape Town, South Africa on a sabbatical a year ago, where if you've ever been there, there's these beautiful kind of mountains they are called the 12 apostles and we were staying at this spot, and I just saw every morning, like, the coastal fog would pour over the side right as the sun was rising and shining through it. Wow. And it's was this, just gorgeous image of these, you know, South African Cape Mountains and this, like, mist coming over them and the sunrise coming. It's just a beautiful image that I felt. I know that was not God. That was God's handiwork. But it feels like such a beautiful physical symbol for the love of the Trinity coming toward me Mm. and I'll often just bring that memory to mind and Let that kind of guide my mind toward God And so some people use a prayer word or a prayer phrase or a prayer picture Some people use a a rosary or a bracelet or a candle and again, you're just you're just trying to focus your consciousness on something you can't see Mm -hmm. And then, and this may sound so overwhelming, underwhelming, but I just sit there and I breathe and I just welcome the Holy Spirit and I just love God loving me. And that's I don't know how to put that into words. It's a, it's like a direction of the heart. The author of uh, the Cloud of Unknowing, a fourteenth century work on contemplative prayer, called it shooting arrows of love at heaven. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody's just trying to find an analogy for yeah. like. It's like sending these little love arrows up to God. and Uh, We're just trying to find language, metaphors, for something that I think is beyond language and beyond metaphors. Mm -hmm. It's this spirit-to-spirit, you know, St. John of the Cross called it silent love. And I just sit there in silent love. And my mind is normally there for about two seconds and then goes, do I need to do this or I want to say this or what's that or what's so-and-so going to think of me? And then the key is just to learn, you know, similar to mindfulness and other things, to so just bring your attention back. And some, for me, I'll come back to that image or I'll come back to my breath and just not beat myself up about it, but mm-hmm. just that's what the mind does. The mind gets distracted. But what my heart wants is to come back to God. Mm-hmm. What about you? I mean, you and I share, I think, a, a deep desire for the contemplative, for prayer, but have very different personality types.
1: Yeah. I could offer a couple of things from my practice, just really briefly. A lot of it's the same, but I sit on my front porch outside. I also don't engage my phone and notifications, things like that, prior to prayer, uh, just to guard my first thoughts. And I set a timer and hold my hands open so that I don't need to know how long has gone or sometimes. Sometimes the work is just remaining still, even though nothing amazing is happening. And sometimes I feel almost like I get interrupted by that timer because I'm lost in like wonder and praise in a beautiful moment. But when I begin to pray in words every day, like when that time ends, and I use a phrase to anchor me to come back to, Mm. my phrase is simply Holy Spirit. Mm. And so I'll say that each time my mind's wandering, I'll just whisper Holy Spirit. And I'll, I'll remain posture with my feet on the ground and my hands open, sitting in this chair, the little candle next to me and a cup of unreasonably good coffee. <laughs> and then I um, I went, I open scripture. I, I read a psalm and another passage of scripture. And then I walk to pray in response to scripture. And the first words of my prayer are always, Jesus, today I hear you talking to me about. Hmm. And that is that comes from that time of listening and then listening to God in the Word, yeah. and and I and I so I view but all you of
2: walk it out. You yeah, get I've, out, get in exactly. your body in winter, in the rain. Exactly, all I view the things. I view all my first words and
1: prayers response to what Jesus has been saying to me, and I am an extroverted, very active personality, and so to sit or remain still for a long period of time is very difficult for me, and so to. Yeah, I take a walk. There's a park across street from my house, and I walk a circle in it every morning. Hmm. And that is where I pray, and that is where my mind is most able to be devoted to one thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, two things I would say maybe in closing, if this sounds too intimidating for certain people listening or new on this journey. One very easy, uber doable, I think, entry point into the contemplative life is gratitude. I think just learning, like just wake up in the morning and start thanking God for things because the line between gratitude, praise, worship, and communion with God, like it's just like almost dominoes. You you begin to thank for the gift, but you're you're aiming that gratitude at the giver and then you're making contact with the giver and you're having a Mm -hmm. connection with the giver, you know? So I think a really easy way to just start this is start beginning your mornings. just, God, I thank you for the sunrise. Thank you for this coffee. Thank you for a healthy body if you have one. And then I think the other thing that needs to be said is this is not just about like a 20 or 30 minute or five minute whatever morning contemplative monkish exercise. Mm -hmm. This is about, that's like training wheels, but you're trying to attune your mind to God through the whole of life. And so then it's like finding habits throughout your day, throughout your, you know, some people say a one-sentence prayer at the end of every email during their work day. or this is what grace at a meal is often, like just pausing for a moment to say thank you to God. I love to do a prayer walk at the end of my day, mm. like it's how I love to end my day, just mm-hmm. walking that day out to God in prayer, you know. So I think gratitude and just pausing throughout the day can be incredibly helpful ways to begin.
3: Practicing the Way is a crowdfunded nonprofit made possible by The Circle, a group of people from all over the world who believe deeply in the work of spiritual formation and discipleship, and who give monthly to see formation integrated into the church at large. I'm Bethany from Manitoba, Canada, and I'm a part of this community. I have found Practicing the Way so helpful because it really affirmed the importance of spiritual rhythms and habits and gave me tools to be able to make my faith in Jesus more integrated into my lifestyle. To join myself and others in the circle, or to share a one-time gift, visit practicingtheway.org slash give.
0: Thanks for listening to Season 1 of the Practicing the Way podcast. This conversation was based on John Mark's newest book, Practicing the Way, Be With Jesus, Become Like Jesus, Do As He Did, which is available now wherever books are sold. This podcast was created by Practicing the Way, a nonprofit working to integrate the best learnings of spiritual formation into the church at large. We offer a library of free resources for churches and small groups, including practices. Four-week experiences designed to be run in community that train you to integrate ancient disciplines like Sabbath, prayer, and more into your everyday life with God. An upcoming Practicing the Way course, an eight-week primer on apprenticeship to Jesus, a digital tool called the Rule of Life Builder, podcasts, and more. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit, and all of these resources are completely free thanks to the generosity of the circle and other givers from around the world. To join the circle, run a practice, or learn more, visit practicingtheway.org.